0: Welcome! You've tuned in to the 661st episode of Ultima Thule, a weekly broadcast of ambient and atmospheric music which can be heard on the Fine Music Network in Sydney 102.5 to MBS, 99.95 MBS in Adelaide, or Canberra's Sound FM 92.7. Hello also to our web listeners via our streaming and podcasting service. Ultima Thule is made possible in part through the generous sponsorship of Rosnay Wines, a leading provider of organic wines and produce. You might like to have a look at their website, rosnewines.com.au. If you'd like to know more about the music which is played and have a closer look at our playlists or find out a bit about the presenters or offer any comments and feedback, you might like to visit Ultima Thule's website, which is ultimathule.info. That's U-L. T-I-M-A-T-H-U-L-E dot info. Now, tonight I have a very special treat for you, whether you are a long-standing ambient buff or new to the genre. Tonight we'll be presenting an interview with Yaroslav Kabarichek, who is renowned for having produced the benchmark ambient program Dreamtime, Dreamtime went to air on ABC-FM in Australia from the mid-80s until the mid-90s. It was almost the first program of its kind in the world, beaten only by a matter of weeks by Hearts of Space. You'll find tonight's interview a rich journey into many areas of music theory, philosophy, production techniques. I'm sure you'll find it fascinating. Partway through the interview, you'll notice... From beneath the spoken word segment will be rising a mix of music which was produced by Yaroslav exclusively for Thuli. The music in Yaroslav's mix is composed entirely of Australian content and for a full playlist as mentioned before, have a look at our website, altamathuli.info. We're going to get straight into the interview now. Enjoy. And tonight it's my great pleasure to welcome to the studio for the Ultima audience, Mr. Yaroslav Kovaracek, who was famous and quite influential for his benchmark program, Dreamtime, which went to air on ABC FM from the mid-80s all the way until the early 90s. Almost a decade of music, actually, was presented via Dreamtime. Welcome, Yaroslav.
1: Thank you very much, Mark. It's a great pleasure to be here in your studio with oh. your listeners.
0: Thank you. It's a great honor to have you here. Something I often wondered because you were quite influential in bringing me and introducing me when I was growing up to the ambient music sound. And in the years since then, as my musical appreciation has developed, I began to wonder... Who were your mentors and who were the greater influences on you as you were growing up, especially in the realm of ambient music?
1: Well, I think I was very lucky I was born in Bohemia, in Bohemia, I used to be part of Austro-Hungarian Empire, then of uh, Czechoslovakia, now the Czech Republic. It's right in the heart of Europe, Prague is the capital. And uh, in this country, we had very rich uh, musical traditions. Now, I also was born into a musical family. My father was a musician. My mother and my grandmother as well, they used to sing quite well. So I was surrounded by music from my earliest childhood. Music simply has always been a very important part of my life. And if you talk about ambient music, well, it all depends how we define ambient music.
0: Yeah, so how, how would you define, if you could, ambient music?
1: I would say it's uh, actually sonic space or sonic environment around us. Uh, we can define it from the point of uh, composers. Say this is a certain kind of music which uh, creates this sonic environment. We can also define it uh, from the point of a listener. And then, actually, it depends uh, on the way you listen. And uh, then you would find that even going through the forest or having a walk on the beach, all those sounds around can be actually perceived as ambient music.
0: Yeah, well, and those those sounds which we find ourselves out there in the natural world, we're going to touch on that a little bit later when we talk about some of your field recordings.
1: Actually, I, I, I just sure. uh, remember there's a one little story or one uh, uh, little aspect of my uh, childhood uh, with my father. My father also played the violin among uh, some other instruments but uh, once he lost the tip of his uh, index finger so keeping in tune was not always easy yet he was very keen on playing and uh, once he brought home harmonium and uh, our dog would sit with us and would sing (laughs) <laughs> uh, but neighbor was complaining about uh, music-making, so my father would often take his motorbike and we would go high in the mountains. And there, we would have this little harmonium, his violin.
0: So he would take you with him?
1: Oh, yes, yes. And uh, I said, well, Walter, are we going to play? So just listen to the birds, listen to sounds, and we'll join in. And that's how we used to play. Well, to me, without knowing it, perhaps, this was really experience of a lovely ambient music. Being created,
0: absolutely. It sounds quite quite atmospheric, and the uh, dimension of interacting with nature with the music is also something which I'm sure some of our contemporary ambient music connoisseurs can appreciate. How the natural world and the musical world are often quite interwoven with ambient music. Wow, that's that's a wonderful story. Now I understand that you studied musicology. Would you mind telling us a little bit about how you came from studying musicology to actually being the presenter of this benchmark program, which I believe was almost the oldest program of its kind by a few months in the whole world?
1: Yes, only uh, the music from the heart of space uh, uh, managed to beat me by, I think, three or four months. That was really the first, as, as far as we know, a program of uh, ambient or relaxation of music, and then Dreamtime started. Well, uh, musicology—it's uh, also uh, translated as the science of music or history of music. And so, if you study musicology, not really a practicing musician, but uh, you do all that uh, business around music. So, some musicologists, maybe musical critics. Music historians, librarians, uh, all sorts of uh, applications in practical life where we have to deal with music. My specialization was music and mass media, but I was uh, actually trained in production of television programs and films, musical films. Uh, which was a really wonderful profession because uh, if you do film, uh, you use the visual side of it, music that gives you great freedom most films or TV, st- TV series whatever just follow the story but if you have music, you know, you can really use your fantasy and you can enhance the music, the, the visual language um, Absolutely and, yeah.
0: and our, our audience our long standing audience members who are familiar with Uh, The founder of Ultima Thule, George Cruikshank's programs, will no doubt be aware that he's quite fond of film scores and soundtracks to films. He actually includes a lot of that because the music itself is often quite evocative and ambient and richly textured in that sense, while still being etheric enough and undefined enough to allow the listener to actually... Develop some of their own interpretation and journey with the music. So, yeah, I hear what you're saying.
1: I'm not suggesting that uh, a film or or television, um, a visual part should be describing music. No, no, it can it can have its own freedom. But it's a very interesting marriage between vision and sound. To, uh, uh, particularly in music films, of course, music plays the dominant role. Music's the really leading part in it. Uh, I left Czechoslovakia in 1968, because what happened uh, in those days it still was part of the Soviet uh, bloc and uh, there was a communist regime, but in the mid-si- mid-sixties we tried to get away from it, but uh, the people in the Kremlin, they uh, realized what we were after. So overnight we had half a million soldiers in our country and uh, I didn't like that, so I escaped. And, Eventually, I landed in Australia. And uh, as things here are somewhat different, uh, instead of uh, television, I got into radio, which I didn't mind and I don't mind at all, because radio is a wonderful medium. It's very intimate. It gives you more freedom. You can be more creative. So, no, I, I actually loved radio. And in 1975, I was invited to join the team, which went uh, to Adelaide. I used to live in Sydney. I came to Sydney in 1968, but in 75 I uh, went uh, with others to Adelaide, where ABC FM started. So what I did, I, uh, of course, helped to produce various programs, but it was uh, the first director of ABC FM, Chris Simons, who asked me just to do a voice test. Now, my English, uh, then I was pretty miserable, Uh, because I didn't speak English at all when I came to Australia. But he said, no, look, it's about time that our listeners uh, will hear someone with an accent. (laughs) So he (laughs) convinced me that I should actually do some uh, presenting as well. It was a big challenge, I have to say. But then I liked music, and for me, sharing great music with other people, that was a great challenge and, and something very enjoyable. Now, you asked about dream time. Yes. Practically all my programs, I would always think, uh, you know, that I'm not just doing my sort of ego-tripping and my personal journey. I was pretty aware that sitting in the studio and preparing the program, I'm going to share something very nice and very <laughs> special with my listeners. So I would always think who those listeners were, what kind of music they would need in any particular time. You see, I would never play uh, a Mahler symphony at lunchtime, because that would be ridiculous. You now, it's not the time to listen to uh, this demanding music. And uh, I was also doing uh, midnight to dawn programs. I didn't mind at all, because I, uh, from my student days, I was basically a night person. So for me, going through the night was not that difficult. So I knew that after midnight, that was a very good time for chamber music and uh, more demanding music, because they were listeners. They are listeners through the night. And uh, that was a time where they could concentrate and truly listen. But then about uh, half past four, uh, I knew that, uh, especially some older people, they would wake up so early. So what do they need is music full of energy to start the day. So then I would go to Baroque music. Uh, and I would play, apart from Bach, of course, Vivaldi and uh, that kind of music, or early classical music, just to start a day with fresh energy. The question was what to do between, let's say, three and four. And uh great thing about radio is that, uh, you know, you get feedback. One... You would get letters. Sometimes people would ring you if you do it live in the studio. So I was trying to create the image of my audience and what the needs may be. And I realized that uh, there was quite a number of people who were ill, they were in hospital. Sometimes they couldn't sleep. So I thought, well, why should I play any noisy music or challenging music? Three and four, it's, uh, it's a very quiet time of the night. So I was choosing very slow music and it didn't take long and I was getting very good response. There were people who said, well, that really helps us very much because here we are, I can't sleep and this music is soothing. It's got great power.
0: Fantastic. So just putting this in the context of time frame, this was the mid-70s?
1: Yes. Uh, that yeah, yeah, I would say maybe early 80s. Okay. And um, yeah, so then uh, I thought, well, that would be good, actually, to have a dedicated program of this uh, kind of soothing music. If you talk about ambient music, that's just one of the terms we use. We can say relaxation music. In those days, some people would even call it new age music. Uh, well, none of those terms is uh, actually reflecting exactly or what it is, but we understand uh, you know, what, what kind of music it is. The emphasis was on relaxation and or sometimes I would call it meditative music. And when the opportunity came, I uh, had a chat with my uh, boss, uh, Dennis Harrison, then, and uh, eventually I convinced him that uh, it would be good to have a dedicated program of this kind of music. And uh, at the same time, that was really the beginning of this new age movement. So, new recordings were appearing, and I said, "Well, here we have something—this uh, new music which we can present within this context." And that's how it happened.
0: Fantastic, fantastic. And so, Dreamtime went to air on ABC FM from, I believe it began in 1984 and concluded somewhere around 1992. So that's quite a span of years for a program and such a benchmark program to be running. Now, do you mind sharing with our audience and with myself what were some of the highlights and some of your fondest memories from the Dreamtime years?
1: Well, Dreamtime uh, became a very popular program uh, of course, music was quite accessible. Uh, there were a few things I was very happy with. Uh, that program brought many younger listeners to our station, because we know that with uh, classical music station, well, that's what ABC FM basically was. Uh, we usually have older audience, and I was very keen on uh, introducing younger listeners also to the rich and beautiful music, and uh, I didn't play just uh let's say new age music or ambient music. I would often make mix where I would put classical music uh, in that musical flow so yes we did i think that was a program which had significantly a higher proportion of young audiences then i uh, got some uh lovely feedback uh well you get it because uh, let's be about it if you play classical music uh, most listeners basically know the music they can even buy CDs if they want to when you do some new music and uh, this ambient music was new often I would get uh, CDs direct from composers or musicians so uh, people needed some information and they had to ring or they had to write to ask about the details and where to get it from
0: so what what were some of the Pieces of feedback, letters, comments
1: which really stood out for you from those years? Well, some uh, listeners would admit that yes, this was uh, a kind of program where they might fall asleep during the program, which I said, Look, I don't mind. Uh, There are so many people who spend so much money on sleeping pills. (laughs) So if you can prove it, perhaps I could become even very rich by uh, putting people nice relaxed sleep uh, because even if you fall asleep you still listen and uh, the important thing is that it's a very sound deep healthy sleep so that was no problem at all but uh, yeah there was some very interesting uh, comments I had and feedback once I got a letter from uh, Europe that uh, this listener wrote to me that he was traveling across Asia and uh, that he was missing my program and uh, But uh, he met uh, another backpacker somewhere in India who had um, a few tapes, a few copies of Dreamtime, so he stayed with him for about a whole week so that he could listen to his tapes. That was a lovely compliment. Uh, another very interesting story was uh, when I was visited in Adelaide by uh, a chap who said that he would like to meet me and have a chat with me because he listened to my program at Antarctica. I said, Well, that's well you it. must have had a powerful transmitter. I said, it's impossible, technically. He said, No, oh, no, no, and explain how it happened. He said that from their base in uh, Tasmania, they got, I think, once a week a plane would drop supplies and uh, they made an arrangement that someone in Hobart would record Dreamtime for them and uh, the tape, and the cassette was then dropped without supplies and uh, they had the working FM transmitter for communication and uh, so usually they were not communicating they said, very often they played my tapes
0: Fantastic, so your program has in many forms traveled all around the world?
1: Yes, yes but, um, but as I said earlier for me the, the, the greatest thing was that I could see that it was working for people, that I was doing something which was meaningful uh, because in media, especially in modern time, uh, you know, the fame is always short-lived, and uh, uh, one needs to be a little, little bit extra, but not not too much. Uh, to me, the success, especially in radio, is really thinking about your listener, your listeners, Absolutely. and sharing, doing something for them. After all, that was the job we were paid for. But that was very important. So all this feedback was good for me. When it was confirming uh, that my approach and my strategy strategies were working
0: yeah yeah, that, that, that aspect of sharing the music is very much something I can relate to um, not sure how many of the Ultima Thule listeners are actually aware but it's got it's home in a radio station called 2MBS which is in Sydney it's a community based radio station where all but I think you could count on one hand how many people at the station were actually paid. But certainly with the Ultima Thule team, we're all doing this as an act of love. It's totally voluntary. And uh, the only reason we're here is because we love to share this music with people. So uh, we do like to get those emails and occasionally letters or phone calls from people just to have a
1: bit of feedback about what's going on. But I can appreciate these stories. But it's great. Uh, I actually uh, like, you know, I like amateurs. Some of them are professional, some of them are not. Amateur is a person who does something for the love of it. Absolutely. And and if they truly love it, they try to do their best. Uh, I'm not very keen on dilettantes. Dilettantes are people who often get paid for it too, but they just don't know enough about it. (laughs) So I have a problem with them. But um, amateurs, volunteers, yes, of course, that's the right approach to it.
0: Yeah. Something I'd like to move on to, I'm aware that you've been involved in a few music publishing projects and you compose music yourself and create music. What have you been up to since Dreamtime? Tell us a little bit about specifically the uh, music publishing projects, because I've had to listen to some of your creations, some of your works, and I've noticed the field recordings that you've actually used. Perhaps it's partly been influenced by the days of your, your father bringing you on the motorbike up into the mountains playing with the birds, but um, I, I noticed that one of your techniques with creating music is to do the field recordings and incorporate that in. So if you could tell us a little bit about that and tell us a little bit about the overall projects that you've been working on.
1: Uh, using uh, nature science was very important for me for several reasons. Uh, I would say perhaps the most important one was a cultural one. You know, all those values which are very important for our life, meaningful life and continuation of life. That's to me is really the very essence of culture and without culture we can't properly function as individuals or as society. So culture actually can absorb various elements from other parts of the world but they have to fit, they have to be meaningful in the context. There's really not much point being very multicultural and accepting Eskimo culture because it's got really no no, no meaning here in our climate. The same thing is with music, you see, we can easily absorb Bach because his music is universal. So those various aspects of culture are related to our environment to our needs and then it really doesn't matter whether I was born in Australia or not what really matters is how I feel about the place I live in whether I'm prepared really to uh, to protect it and to protect it means really to appreciate it and to appreciate it means to know it so let's say in Australia if we talk about the so-called white Australia history well when I came here uh, we were still very much under the English influence. I think lately we are getting more and more American input. So, what I would prefer to see is that we seriously think about the authentic, uniquely Australian aspect of culture. And when we talk about music, well, that's why I made recommendations to uh, all those young and talented composers of ambient music uh, to go out and listen. And record and first listen so that we can hear the uniquely Australian sounds around us. See, we are a very urban nation. I think more than 70% of Australians live in the big cities and uh, yet really from this lovely continent, so uh, listening to sounds, not just birds, even to ocean sounds and, and whatever, give us a certain uh, cue how to develop our uniquely Australian culture. So that's what it was all about.
0: So what I can hear there is the deepening into a sense of place, a grounding into this place called Australia and, and really getting in touch with what it means, what it feels like, what it looks like, what it sounds like in Australia and using that as an information base, an experiential information base to then inspire the music would allow an Australian music to emerge, that the elements of the Australian landscape, this, this place, this country, this land to actually
1: be expressed through the music? Yes, well, the music is a fine example of all things cultural. Now, certain music, yes, we can incorporate, we can accept, uh, but what's the point for me bringing Czech culture? And it's a very rich culture with deep traditions into Australia because that culture developed in a specific environment. So here I was thinking okay, what is truly Australian? I had to learn many things. I had to learn really to love the bush. And how could I do it? Well, through my ears listening to birds, listening to night crickets, all those things. And that really opened my ear and opened my heart as well. So in this way, um, you know, sound and nature sound was sort of very important for me. Um, And I think in ambient music, uh, we've done, we've reached um, some sort of um, specific qualities. Because if you listen to so-called art music now, with uh, perhaps a great exception, which is Peter Scarthorpe, whose music... is sounds really very Australian, because he listened. He was born in Tasmania, and from his childhood he would hear The Bush. So in his music, you know, that's Australian music. But uh, most other art music could come from anywhere. Or pop music, rock music. There's nothing specifically Australian about it, usually. Just a touch of the cherry rubanth from Germany or, or American groups as well, but in ambient music we have now a group of very talented young composers, unfortunately there are not enough programs uh, for us to hear their music. I could give a number of names, uh, of course Tony O'Connor would be the best known, yeah. uh, to me really one of the greatest string composers is Peter Mame, who is not well known, but he's done some brilliant recordings. Of Australian sounds he's got very Australian fine cultivated ear and his music is quite joyful but the way he combines Australian nature sounds and music is quite unique it's beautiful music
0: very talented if our listeners would like to go out and source some of this music do you have a favorite album that you would recommend they start with
1: I think Coran is uh, perhaps his uh, best-known album
0: okay how, you know? how do you spell that
1: C O R R A N D E R K, I think it is. Okay. Coran Cor- And um, how do you
0: spell Peter's surname?
1: M U uh, M E B Peter Mame. Uh, I think he's quite exceptional. Opera uh, did some support for ambient music. I'm very happy to say there is even a section where uh, ambient uh, composers, or ambient music composers, uh, get returns based on sales because, you see, this music unfortunately is not played on commercial radio or not even on the ABC anymore. I can understand why. Um, there were plenty of listeners and certainly demand was there. It just showed about the narrow-mindedness of um, artistic managers, unfortunately. But, um, yes, the, the, uh, it's very rich school and uh, I hope that one day they'll be properly recognized and music would be enjoyed uh, many people would uh, have to hear the music and use it if they only knew about it that's the problem
0: and so still talking about the production and the music projects what, what were some of the areas that you went to some of the places that you went to to do the field recordings
1: and what were some of your favourite things to record well I uh, kept uh, they recorder, a mini-disc and a uh, good microphone uh, with me all the time, whenever I heard some interesting sounds I uh, would record them. Uh, I think two um, uh, localities were uh, of particular significance, one was Tasmania, which has a lovely soundscapes, beautiful sounds, but um, once you start recording a very interesting thing happens, because to record uh, very subtle nature sounds, One has to open one's ear, and that's amazing. Because then you realize how badly is our world polluted sonically. So I said, no, I want to record some pure nature sounds. I don't want any background, any somebody cutting grass on Sunday morning, anything like that. No traffic. So one day I thought, okay, I go for a week to record record sounds, pure sounds, deep in the outback, and the idea was to go to the Flinders Ranges. So I went to the Flinders Ranges, and I could hear on my recordings in the background noise of buses and trucks being 20 miles away. I said, well, no, I don't want that. So I went to found. Where would, is Arcarula? Arcarula is further 100 kilometers northeast of uh, the Flinders Ranges.
0: Okay, and for the non-Australian li- listeners, the Flinders Ranges is just north of Adelaide, so we're talking a region below Ayrs Rock, below Uluru, oh, yes, just yeah, below yeah. Central Australia. Yeah. That part of Australia yeah. is where Yaroslav
1: is referring to. Yeah, and uh, Karula is uh, very sort of pure nature there, everything fine. But, recording, of course, especially birds. Birds, uh, choruses are recorded, best recorded early in the morning. So I would get up at half past four, get everything ready, would walk somewhere, start recording, and I could hear generators running. I said, that's not good enough. So I hit the track and went deep into the outback to Inaminka. Even Inaminka was noisy. So eventually I ended at Kunky Lakes. Uh, not many uh, people have visited Gungi Lakes. It was opened only some years ago. Uh, if you look at the map, that's uh, really northeast corner of uh, South Australia. And we are talking now about, you know, being hundreds of kilometers uh, away from uh, any technical or technological civilization. It's in the Middle Desert, part of the uh, Coopers Creek system, and there are a few lakes where even birds, I could actually hear that they were not uh, really influenced by uh, our technological noisy society. Like you can tell them from their singing. So, yes, I spent a few days there and did all sorts of recordings. So these were very, very, very precious uh, sound recordings. And very enjoyable, too. But, um, as I've said, it is actually very interesting that only when you start recording and you want to have Quality sound, then you open your ear, and you realise that there's so many noises around us. It's hard to escape them.
0: Absolutely, it sounds uh, comparable to the eye of the artist, the visual artist or the photographer. And when a person develops that appreciation of the visual world through that artistic representation, then wherever they walk, it's like their eyes are open, and they—it's almost like they see they really start to see for the first time so in a way what I'm hearing you saying is this process of recording really helped to open and deepen your listening and your hearing
1: that's a very uh, interesting aspect of it that visual and audible world Uh, I went for example to Uluru to do some recordings there now in uh, central Australia and I actually went then uh, Springs to live there and work there for a whole year because I found it a very fascinating world. But if you look in the bush and say, well that's been here for centuries like that, you, know, you, you can't see any influence of a sort of modern society. So visually we can escape that, we can see certain uh, sceneries which are really pure and ancient. But when it comes to sound, you can't escape it because you hear buses, cars, airplanes at night, generators. That's how we are. I think in modern uh, times we are losing sensitivity uh, to our sonic environment. And that's why ambient music also has a role just to make us aware uh, of uh, the sonic ambience which we live in. You see, if you walk through the city, we get so much sonic garbage around us. But now it seems that most people simply don't care much about it. If it's visual, you know, people complain, and rightly so, about graffiti on walls and public buildings. And, uh, but we should complain also about sonic graffiti, which are much worse attacking us with noise, ugly music. Um why we lost the sensitivity to sound, Hard uh, to explain.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah,
0: it's a, look, it's a very important area of work that I believe will be addressed. It'll have to be addressed because we have so many stresses in our society, in this modern, busy, highly concentrated lifestyle that we live that... You know, one by one, they are getting addressed in the sonic world. Sonic stress is certainly something which has been proven to uh, be capable of pr- producing disease, this ease yes, So ambient right, music yes. is something which helps to create relief and to create ease. Um, so music functionality, functional music, is something I know you're passionate about. Now, would you like to share a little bit about the projects, the musical production and composition projects that you've been involved in with functional music what are you quite passionate about at the moment and involved in
1: well uh, yes I also do I compose music but uh, after Bach and Mozart and all the great composers I wouldn't even dream about trying to produce some art music because certainly we've got some great music by those masters and they are never-ending inspiration but music can have many functions, and uh, so I was looking uh, in the areas where they may be need, and this meditative music is uh, one area uh, where I yes, used certain work can be done. After I left the ABC ten years ago, I uh, continued sort of my search uh, in the area of uh, music psychology, music therapy, and,
0: uh, and these, this is sort of 1992, 93. So the the New Age movement was rolling along quite strongly at that that era. So meditation music, New Age music, all this was quite a strong there was quite a strong appetite and uptake in the community for these sounds and this yeah. functionality of music.
1: Once again, the term a new age is a bit tricky, isn't it? Because people can imagine all sorts of things. And I know there are so many charlatans in uh, Britain, all sorts of things, you know, singing with angels and stuff like that. Uh, but I'm not afraid of, 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 of the expression new age basically meant that uh, there was some fresh air. And uh, in the early days, there was a lot of inspiration coming from the East and Buddhist philosophy the Taoism, Zen, things like that. All that was, I think, very useful. But and tribal cultures as well. I'd like to
0: acknowledge the wisdom that has very much emerged from the First Nations peoples, the indigenous
1: peoples of the world who have such a strong connection to the land. That's right, yes. And I think that was very important and very useful. Um, but still, I'm a combination of both sort of Eastern mysticism and um, the Western rational approach bigger we can't help it I think that's the, one of the biggest
0: lessons that came out of the uh, new age era was the the balancing the bringing to the balance of the, the western technology contemporary aspects and also the, the more ancient intuitive wisdoms just finding the the, the happy marriage of, of both so it sounds like this is a little bit about am I preempting you here and suggesting that this is what you perhaps have Incorporated into your creation of music? A bit yes, of both.
1: yes, yes. And uh, also the uh, area of uh, you know, researching how sound affects uh, musical sound in particular, uh, both our uh, sort of psychological side and even physiological side. And then I developed the technique of toning meditation. That's very interesting because it's a kind of a style of meditation designed for modern day living and uh, 15 minutes of toning uh, is quite effective and uh, so I moved into that area where with toning and producing kind of harmonic sounds we can uh, help to control our stress or uh, even create uh, sort of healing situations um, with toning and uh, Use of music, uh, for example, can help uh, reducing um, hypertension, high uh, blood pressure, blood pressure yeah. uh, and there'll be you know, a number of many other things which we can use. Unfortunately, we live in the world where uh, we are conditioned by advertising media and um, profit seeking organizations uh, in that field in particular. Uh, pharmaceutical companies, and uh, they present us just this notion that really, you know, we give you a pill and you'll be happy. Mm. It would be nice if it, if it would work like that, but every pill would have its side effects, and uh, reaching inner peace and uh, wellness and happiness. It simply takes time and it has to be developed. So, if we can do it uh, in a natural way, using our voice, using good music, it's uh, not only safer, uh, it's uh, more beneficial because there are no side effects, no problems. But it, of course, takes uh, motivation and a little bit of work. That's all.
0: And there's, of course, uh, the rewards of empowerment that come with that. Whenever well, you work and then you achieve something, there's this sense of personal power that you develop.
1: Well, especially in meditation. Uh, done properly and practiced properly, it helps us to get better control own life. And that means, yes, we can make uh, our life more meaningful and thus a lot more enjoyable. And that's what is it all about. Uh, to enjoy our life, I mean, it's never too long. So it's a pity to lose uh, any minute of it. And uh, once again, proper understanding and use of music can be very beneficial. Music is more than just... Uh, No, it's a very, uh, very important uh, dimension of um, people's lives.
0: Well, look, we're certainly witnessing that in the, especially the, the contemporary world around us, never has there been such easy access and such a rapid and intense uptake of music as we're now witnessing with what proportion of households now own an MP3 player. Everywhere you go, people are listening to music. So we're, we're very much living in a world that is quite intensely participating in the music realm.
1: Yes, it's right. We have access now to such a great variety, such a wide spectrum of musical styles, musical sounds. Yet interesting question would be to find out uh, how much of that is used by the majority of people. Sometimes I have uh, opportunity, I like doing uh, workshops or lectures with Young people, and uh, uh, I'm surprised that too, uh, many of them, especially young boys, all they know from music is just techno music. And uh, okay, I, I tell them that's you, you have to be in control of your life. And just uh, for them, noise presents power. But what they don't realize is that uh, when they hit middle age, uh, their hearing will be so badly damaged. Return, they will not be able to fix it. that's a serious problem. Uh, it's a worldwide uh, problem.
0: And something that could be helpful to uh, just touch on a little bit more is about the specifics of the musical projects that you have been involved in in stream time, if I could just bring the conversation back to that. So, for example, if some of our listeners wanted to um, explore some of what you've been up to, how would you like to introduce that?
1: Well, after I left the ABC, we started with a very good friend of mine, also a composer, Alex Smazic, company, Terra Australia.
0: Terra Australia. Australia. Yeah, we,
1: we produced over, 30, over 32 albums plus but of course, since Down was gone, there was no program which would promote the music or give people uh, a good chance to hear that kind of music. Uh, so it's very difficult to sell music. People don't know if you don't have a really lot of money for promoting. And that's where you can't really those huge companies and make billions of profits and so on. So we still, we have produced quite a number of uh, albums, all Australia. Well, that was, that was the end of it, because uh, if you don't have programs, if you don't have promotional vehicles, So, a great regret, and then they realize, okay, we can't do more. I then uh, produced music, which is good for massage, for yoga, that's following harmonies. Uh, then I went into, as I've said, uh, meditative music, functional music, hearing music, uh, toning meditation, also have album uh, energizing tones because uh, it was Doctor Alfred Tomatis, French specialist, who formulated the law actually that high frequencies help to energize our brain. If you tired uh, and you listen to high frequencies, you so, get some energy back. So what we have, if you have uh, if you produce a CD album, as you know, we have certain limits because of sampling rate. So we can't go to 27,000, something like that. We, that most people wouldn't hear 15k uh,
0: like these it. days. Yeah, they uh, say 20,000 hertz is the uh, upper, upper limit of our hearing, but I have read some studies which suggest that, especially in talking about the uh, noise pollution that we live in this modern world, due to that, most people's hearing uh, tapers out somewhere around about 15k, 15 15,000 hertz mark.
1: And it's uh, actually low frequencies which drain energy from us. So People don't realize it. may be even very soft, like the sound of air conditioning in the office. The uh, refrigerant humming. Uh, even distant uh, traffic noise, which is very low frequencies. People living close to airports or highways, often they feel that they are very tired, exhausted, not knowing why. And it's uh, a sonic world and it, it doesn't even have to be loud but higher frequencies uh, just in the reverse uh, so I had album energizing uh, uh, tones energizing harmonies and uh, these are just tones, that's not music uh, but if you listen it so softly it also helps to somehow I shouldn't say restore, but because uh, it massages uh, uh, cochlea uh, so that's the inner know, part helps. of the... Uh yeah, helps our our hearing in in better shape. Uh, So I do all sorts of experiments in in this area. I also uh, did some experiments with plants, playing all sorts of music just to check what those vibrations, how they operate, what they do. Because for me it is quite important that in this field if I do anything I need to know it works, how it works, even if I can't explain it sometimes at least to prove that it works right. And one uh, perhaps more interesting uh, project of mine was, uh, uh, perhaps I'm the first composer in the history, or as far as I know, a composer of music for dogs. Dogs? Uh, uh, that's that interesting, that's a bit different, music uh, for dogs. Yes, uh, I love dogs very much, I'm mean, the greatest lover of dogs in the world. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they're probably the, the animal closest in companionship to humans in you know. A lot of dog lovers out there,
1: and are they musical dogs too? Do. Musical but, dogs uh, are musical. Okay,
0: tell us more about that. Well, uh
1: I actually, uh dogs uh, dogs in our family. So, my first, hand, first hand experience that when we play, the dog, one of the particular sit with us, and he will truly really sing. By that I mean that uh, they tried to get the right pitch, second harmony, and then I met number of dogs, you could do that. And uh, dogs uh, are very sensitive to sounds, because they've got much better hearing than we have. And they truly prefer harmonious music, rather uh, than radio music. Even my postman explained to me, he was a great dog lover, and he said, well, sometimes the dogs are chasing postman. Says, well, no. He said, no, 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 you've got nothing against me. They just don't like the sound of my motorbike and they ride. I don't like it myself either. So he would stop, he would switch uh, his motorbike off and then he would have a chat with our dog or dogs in our street and they would love him. He stopped barking at him because, because they knew it was just a stupid motorbike and he explained to them. So dogs are uh, in here pretty well, they've got a very good sonic memory. You know, once they hear uh, the sound of your car, then they know when you're coming home and uh, they remember voices. So I thought, well, it's about time that uh, I'll produce some music for them. The album actually is designed for situations where dogs are left alone in a house or in a flat.
0: Okay, because, I mean, often dogs are left alone for long periods when they become agitated or stressed or bored. I've noticed that they uh, begin to bark a lot.
1: That's right, because they are social animals, and then they get bored, lonely. They feel miserable, and they start barking or complaining. So the album has three elements of my relaxation music, nature sounds, because often they are in a flat where they can hear only technical sounds. And uh, there is some dog singing. Not much, but yes, it is there I with five dogs. On well, that one. Bruno, I think, was, uh, was the best of them. Some dogs would actually bark on hearing it for the first time, and people then would say, Now, look, this is supposed to be relaxation music for dogs. And my dog was barking when hearing it, uh, listening to it. First uh, so, of Well, it's um, similar to the situation when you have a new neighbor, and uh, he comes with his dog. So what your dog will do at first, they will bark at each other because it's a new dog in this space, but it usually doesn't take long. They become friends, and then they work together, and yeah, dogs actually can create very, very strong and good friendship. So the same thing is here, that for the first time they hear it, some of them might bark, but maybe after second, third hearing, those dogs, they recognize their voice, and then they become their friends. So,
0: so companions... If a master
1: goes out, it, does, it shouldn't be played too loud. It's very soft on, let's say, with beat or random mode. And the dogs is quite happy because they do listen. They hear nature sounds, calming music, and a little bit of dogs sort of barking and singing. It's just, yeah, that keeps them company. Now, it's been tested. It, it, it worked quite well, even tested by some uh, animal psychologists. Uh, but, of course, people need to understand how to use it.
0: Fantastic. Wow, fascinating. So if uh, anybody out there listening wanted to explore some of your works, whether they be your more sort of musical um, recordings post-Dreamtime or this uh, composition for dogs, which I believe is called where where could they access your music?
1: Well, actually, at the moment I don't have any network because I have relocated from South Australia to the eastern coast so when it comes to promoting or selling my music uh, I'll be looking for someone interested in distribution network
0: okay so would you prefer listeners to contact Ultima or would you like to give out your email address how would you
1: well if didn't. Dating-
0: Some of the uh, Australian audience will remember Yaroslav's program quite fondly and may have some other questions or comments or feedback they'd like to offer. So um, I'd like to thank you very much, Yaroslav, for coming in and spending this time
1: Oh, today. it was a real, real pleasure.
0: And uh, also our listeners, a show or two ago of mine, would have been treated to the program which was entirely produced from CDs from your own private collection which you very generously shared with myself so um, that would also give them a little bit of a reminder of uh, Yaroslav's sounds. So thank you Yaroslav.
1: And thank you very much uh, for listening. Uh, one thing I would like to mention is that if you listen to this program regularly and you like it then uh, please recommend it to your friends because programs like that usually don't have huge resources for promotion, so while commercial music gets all sorts of uh, promotion here, uh, it is important that we do it ourselves. But I know from my experience that uh, if you find the right person who might enjoy this kind of program, then, of course, they are quite happy if it's brought with the attention. So, please, give it good support. Programs of this kind, I think, are truly important.
0: Fantastic, yeah, look, that's that's wonderful that you uh, emphasise that point. We do certainly appreciate uh, listeners helping to spread the word about what we're sharing here, because that's what it's all about, sharing. Sharing something which takes people on a beautiful journey and helps to make their lives more peaceful and reduce stress. So, um, yes, it's, it's an absolute pleasure to be sharing this and to have you here.
1: Well, thank yeah. you very much again. Thank um, you, Aristotle. Uh, May you be always well and happy. May I be always,
0: always well, well. and happy 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 and which aired on ABC-FM from the mid-80s until the mid-90s. The last 15 minutes or so of music that you heard underneath the interview were tracks in the following order, commencing with a track called Alice Springs by Peter Mumme, followed by Mystical Forest by Christopher Buckman, and then the last track underneath that was Soliloquy of the Frogs by Riley Lee, who's playing the shakuhachi there. Now this is an all-Australian mix, drawn entirely from content produced by Australian artists and composers. You're listening to Ultima Thule, and you're here with your host, Mark Kundalini. Ultima Thule is a weekly broadcast of ambient and atmospheric music, which can be heard on Sydney's Fine Music Network, 102.5 to mbs or if you're in Adelaide, 99.95 MBS, Canberra's Art Sound FM, 92.7. You can also listen to an archive of our recent broadcasts online via our streaming and podcast service. If you'd like to have a closer look at our playlists or offer some feedback or comments, ask any questions, just say g'day, have a look at our website, ultimathoolie.info. Next week's show, as usual, will be presented by George Cruikshank, and in four weeks after that, I will be back again to take you on another journey. To conclude this, the 661st episode of Ultima Thule, I'm going to leave you with the final two-thirds of Yaroslav's exclusive mix. The first track you're going to hear will be Lightning Man by Tony O'Connor, then John Barnard's Dusk, Evening Charm by Stuart Daretia, a track produced by Yaroslav called Slow Flow Eternity, and then the final track of the night will be Dreams of the Dreamtime by Alex Svensis. You are here with Mark Kundalini, enjoy.